Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to another edition of the Null Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Carter Carls. It is Friday, September 30th. We are one day away from Florida State kicking it off against Wake Forest at 3.30 p.m. Eastern, Saturday at Dope Campbell Stadium. On ABC, we have Connor O'Neill with Deacon Illustrated joining the show to talk about Wake Forest. It's been quite the week, though, uh, with Hurricane Ian. Uh, We certainly are thinking about everyone who is affected by it, and we hope that this podcast can uh, be an escape for you. So um, we're going to first talk with Connor about Wake Forest. Uh, we're also going to talk with him about those comments that Dave Clawson made in his press conference, uh, and then we're going to break down the matchup and offer our score predictions. So uh, without further ado, here is Connor O'Neill. We are now joined by Connor O'Neill with Deacon Illustrated. He has covered Wake Forest. This is his sixth season covering Wake Forest, uh, and we've got uh, quite the quite the matchup coming up. How are you doing, Connor? It's good. It's uh, you know, you get to six seasons in a hurry when one of them's a COVID year, and you uh, you pick up like four different bylines in a in a year or two after getting laid off. So, yep, uh, been around Wake for a while now. Well, good stuff, man. We, uh, <laughs> I told you this beforehand, but before we get started, we gotta we gotta ask you about the the spicy comments or, or not the spicy comments, but but just the comments made from Dave Clawson and, and the spicy reaction, right? That that came from FSU fans. Uh, it was put out there. I tweeted out there. Maybe it's my fault for 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 putting the video out there, but. Man, I mean, some of the the responses, my mentions are just a dumpster fire right now. But uh, I wanted to get your take on it, on the Wake Forest side of things. What did you think about just him him talking about first saying he hopes the ACC makes the right decision, but then also saying kind of like, you know, we want to play this game as long as it's safe. Uh, So he did he did, you know, kind of reiterate that. Uh, and then also, you know, the whole the whole Vanderbilt thing. I just, yeah, what what were kind of your your take on it? What was the Vanderbilt? I missed. What's the Vanderbilt tie-in? Right. So at the end of uh, his press conference, as I'm, I think you were there, uh, he had mentioned like uh, he didn't expect it to be packed at all. Like he he didn't. I'm not. I don't want to put words in his mouth. Right. He basically said that he didn't expect it to be a big pr- crowd, and it might be fewer than what uh, Vanderbilt had, which. FSU fans went crazy about because they at the Vanderbilt game I think there were twenty four thousand fans there so they kind of saw that as a challenge of like oh uh, you don't think we're gonna have twenty four thousand well yeah we'll have a little bit more than that yeah so to all right we'll we'll get to that in a minute um, <laughs> and the the 
stuff about the ACC and Florida State making the right decision, and if they don't make the right decision, we will. It's all about player safety. And I, I think, you know, they've looked at a forecast, I think, uh, early in the week. And that press conference, I think it, he had not looked at a forecast uh, within hours of that press conference when the projections were kind of shifting to where we went from thinking a hurricane was going to hit Tallahassee to looking at like, oh, it's going to be 84 sunny and maybe a little breezy in Tallahassee. (laughs) So that's where like everything about the last 48 hours or so makes it look like Dave just had no idea what the weather was going to do, which I don't don't know if anybody had any idea what the weather was going to do. So if the projections he had seen actually played out, this might have been kind of a bad look to be playing this game. Um, you know, we're it. It's it's not comparable, but it, it is kind of comparable. Like there was a hurricane uh, Matthew in 2016 that hit North Carolina, and all four uh, ACC schools in the state played home games that day, and the, the state of emergency had been declared. Uh, they could barely get anybody out to games. Uh, it kind of felt like. I, that day, I was at uh, Notre Dame's game at NC State. I remember that. I remember, think, I remember driving to that game thinking, like, this game might not – should be played. Like, the, the, this this is not a safe environment. Later that day, Wake played a game, and it was completely fine. It was clear. Like, the, the, you know. So you just never know with the weather stuff. And I think that's where Dave was trying to, to put it out there that – he was not necessarily happy with the way conversations had gone. Um, you, from his perspective, he's looking at it like Florida pushed their game back to Sunday. Uh, South Carolina moved their game up to Thursday night. We're, we're talking on Thursday night. I think South Carolina might be on the field already. Um, or there were one or two others, like uh, South Florida moved their game to Boca. Um, just that kind of stuff. And, and then, you know, Wake Forest, Florida State's just looking at it like, no, we're good. We're, we're, we're still here. We're playing. We're all good. Um, so that's where, and man, I mean, it's, it's a bigger discussion, but we need to, we need to eventually talk about a, a media that live tweets pressers. And when you're, when you're putting 280 or less characters out there and you're not able to provide context, you're not able to provide full quotes that you can in a story or provide video, um, it's tough. It it it, uh, it leads to a lot of overreactions. It's just the way yeah. you know doing this for. I'm going to make myself make myself sound old here, but doing it for as long as I have is something I've learned. Is you know, if if you think you can't provide the context in a in a 280 character or less tweet, don't put anything out there. Right. So right. That's yeah. that's kind of what I saw. The Vanderbilt stuff. I think. If I'm if I'm putting my Dave Clawson interpreter hat on, um, he looks at it and sees that classes are canceled. Um, you assume if classes are canceled, students are all sent home. Um, you assume that you know if if it's bad enough that kids can't go to school, people might not be able to get to the game. Uh, I think that's where he's coming from, but that's that's yeah. kind of reaching. I think um, reading the Vanderbilt part, I, th- I personally I thought it was like you know, um, I think he worded it incorrectly, but he was worried about how many fans would show up, and he was, and out, and later on he clarified, you know, he wants um, Doak to be packed because you know, 
um, it's great environment for football. Everyone enjoys when it's a packed crowd. You know, um, opposing teams will um, always talk about that. They love it when they're getting booed at an away crowd. You know, so I think they would look. They were definitely looking forward to that. But I think he just used the wrong words to kind of describe that. I think it came up like he mentioned homecoming was canceled as well. Well, you know, you cancel homecoming. That's a big deal. So yeah. when I heard those comments. I'm like, it's not as bad as it sounds. You know, like. Connor, everything I, always reads so much worse on Twitter. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> Connor, I do want to ask you. I, I, I did go back and, and watch the press conference, and I I think it was important to note he did say like if, if the game is safe, we want to play this game. Like we, we want that. There was also I was just confused. You know, he, he came out and said, "I hope the ACC makes the right decision," and then right after that, he's talking about. If it's not safe, we're not going to play. Um, and, and then you guys kind of asked follow-ups like, well, what do you mean by ACC making the right decision? And and to me, I felt like you don't just go into a press conference and say those things. You, you think he kind of – it was an intentional comment that he made. But I'm wondering what he may have meant by that because th- that's the only part of it I'm hung, hung up on is what's the decision that's to be made if – he truly believes like, oh, yeah, like we're, we're you know, I, I don't know. And then just kind of speaking definitively, I think it there's both ways. Uh, by that point, yeah, I don't know if you can say 100% like, oh, yeah, this this is going to happen. But you also can't quite spin it the other way where it's like he, he just sounded a little spun up about it. And, and then the ACC comments kind of left, left me a little bit confused. Yeah, so the, the first – part is Dave never goes into a press conference unprepared for anything that we're going to ask about. I mean, he is, he is calculating. He is never going to be caught off guard or I guess maybe not never, but very rarely. Uh, and especially with something like that, like we knew the hurricane was coming for how many, how many days out. Um, this didn't just spring up. So he knew that it was going to be a subject. I think I think he wanted some more definitive contingencies in place. Uh, and those conversations started happening probably Sunday morning. Um, you know, you're also dealing with having those conversations and you're also trying to swallow a double overtime loss to Clemson. So it's not like he's, uh, it's not like it's all sunshine and rainbows in wakes off coaching offices while they're having these conversations with the ACC, uh, I think that, you know, they like to say that they uh, move on after 24 hours. I, I have my doubts sometimes, and this is one of those times, like, I don't think you just move on from from the game that they did, from from the preparation that they've had uh, to play that game that they did on over the weekend. Yeah, the, the one thing FSU fans were pushing – this notion that Wake would want to, like, avoid FSU, I'm just like, guys, Wake Forest is a good team. And also, FSU has some injuries on their team. If you want to play them, you play them now if you're Wake Forest. They don't have prob- They may not have Jared Verse. They may not have Fabian Lovett. I, I don't think Wake Forest is, is ducking FSU uh, or wants to duck them. I mean, they're – like, Clemson's pretty dang good, and they – Nearly beat them. So, I don't know. I just want to reiterate that. I think maybe Clawson 
opened himself up to criticism, but maybe you don't kill him for it. I don't know. It just it seemed a little overblown, but um, enough with that. We got to talk football. No, no more hurricanes. No more press conference and and Twitter fingers. Let's talk about Wake Forest FSU. Cannot wait for this game to get kicked off after the week we've kind of had, but. Um, Connor, just just your initial impressions about this matchup. What, what are the, kind of the big storylines that are uh, you know kind of standing out to you? So it's a star-studded undercard for the ACC this week, right? Yep, you you've got the big one, the the Super Bowl out there with uh, NC State and Clemson. But man, I think this is going to be high scoring. Um, I just like there's some stat. Uh, the last time a winning team in a game involving Wake Forest scored under 37 points was Wake's 35-14 win against Florida State last year. So that's, I think, uh, the last last 11 games last year and the first four this year, all of them, the winning team scores at least 37 points. So this is not a program that is kind of embraced playing a 24-13 game. Uh, they just, they score. And they're going to, they're probably going to give up some plays too. Um, I think the key to the game to me is how Florida State defends Wake Forest. Uh, the wind is going to play a factor here. Like I don't know how much the how how high the wind gusts are going to get. I always think that wind affects a passing game more than rain. Uh, it's easy to think that rain affects it because it's harder to throw a, a waterlogged ball. But as long as you're practicing with a waterlogged ball throughout the week you can you can adjust with that you just can't predict the wind so as long as the wind is okay i'm really curious to see if if the conditions are conducive for it i mean clemson for the first three quarters played with safeties in the box and dropped safeties down when wake would run rpos that gave wake the one-on-one matchups on the outside and wake's Wake's got so much confidence in those three wide receivers, A.T. Perry, Donovan Green, and Jamal Banks. They're going to throw one-on-ones to them any chance they get. I mean, they're they're good enough to where you can say the ball is going up if you leave this corner or that corner in one-on-one coverage. And so what Clemson did in the fourth quarter in overtime is they dropped to cover two. Like, they, they dropped those safeties off the line. They gave safety help, and that – you know, Wake's offense is predicated. Their their main principle is we're going to take what the defense gives us. So if you give them five and six man boxes, they're just going to hand the ball off. Um, you know, it's it's something that I think is a little bit of an identity crisis. Is Wake Forest? You have a fifth year quarterback who is probably the best quarterback in your school's history. You have these receivers on the outside that can make the plays that they can make, and when you're looking at that personnel and you're looking at handing the ball off, like nothing against Wake's running backs, but it feels like you're limiting yourself offensively when you're taking the ball away from Sam Hartman and you're limiting the chances that the A.T. Perry, Donovan Green, Jamal Banks trio can can make plays for you. So that's just, I, I'm so curious how much Florida State trusts their corners to be on islands and how much they're just going to say, okay, you guys – you want to run the ball, you can rip off some six or eight yard runs. Like that's basically what Clemson did and was that's what Clemson was giving up. And then, you know, Clemson has probably three or four of the best five defensive linemen in the entire ACC. 
those guys are eventually going to make a play and get you off schedule, and then you're going to have to pass against the look that we know that you don't want to pass against. So it's very much cat and mouse. It's very much chess moves going on there, but but that's where that's where I'm looking to start this game. I mean, um, you, you mentioned the Clemson game. Um, you know, it looked like um, Wake Forest is winning those one-on-one matchups. They were throwing the ball well first three quarters. Fourth quarter, um, they just ran the ball. Was that like because of what the defense was giving, or do you think do you think the coaching was also the play calling was kind of like you know um, suspect right there as well? Because you went away from what got you there and kind of went conservative, especially in that last drive, very conservative with a chance to win. You don't want to go to overtime with Clemson, do you? Yeah, I mean, I think it's never it's never much of a factor of play calling with Wake Forest, like they. Their, their main plays have three options. Like, they basically run a triple option that's just sexier than a wishbone that's either a fullback dive, a quarterback keeper around the end, or a pitch out to a, a Z-back or whatever the Georgia Tech guys call it. You know, it is it is a triple option. It's just a quarterback handoff, quarterback keep, or throw a bomb or throw a, an intermediate slant is the other thing that can come from it. Um, so you're really – you're putting the ball in your quarterback's hands, but you're also instructing your quarterback, you know, look, they're, they're in cover two. Uh, they're dropping off the line. You're, you're looking at, you know, one or two linebackers that are both five yards off the line of scrimmage at the snap. You're handing the ball off. Um, that's where it's, it's a tough, it's a tough gray area. It's a tough balance. It's a very narrow margin of, criticizing Wake's coaching for kind of instructing Sam and, and kind of guiding him to make those reads in, in the fourth quarter. And also knowing that that's what their offense does. Like that, that's, that's who they are. That's why they're as successful as they're, I mean, they've basically rewritten the offensive record book in Wake for for Wake Forest football in the last, you know, six years or so. Um, you don't do that if, if that's not your offense. Connor, looking at the the numbers, um, I mean, it was staggering. Last year's game, A.T. Perry, he had more receiving yards against Florida State that, than any other Florida State defense under Norvell have given up, 155. Um, but FSU's defense this year has kind of proud, prided itself on not giving up any big plays. Uh, I believe they're one of the top teams in the country in terms of just explosive plays allowed yards per attempt yards per completion and that's been largely without their top cornerback in Amari and Cooper being fully healthy and they feel like last game against Boston College was was sort of his coming out party he'd been he'd been injured since preseason camp and so you know I think they do feel more confident in their corners last year I mean, their corners got smoked against Wake Forest. It, it was it was pretty bad. But when you look at this matchup, I think when you're just the average fan, you you look at Wake and and like you said, they they kind of they kind of predicate their offense based on what the defense is doing. What's stopping defenses from just saying, okay, fine, like we're not going to let Hartman beat us, we're not going to let Perry beat us, let's just let you run the football all game long. What, let's let these guys beat us. What's stopping that from happening? Because you'd think that that would be the first thing that comes to mind and that that would be what every defense would do. 
the, there's a couple things. I mean, number one, um, Wake hasn't been defended this season the way that Clemson defended them in the fourth quarter. That might be the blueprint, and that might be what Wake sees for the majority of the season uh, based on what Clemson did. Now, Florida State might be one of the only teams left on Wake's schedule that can say we have athletes the caliber that Clemson does. Um, and I don't even know if you can. You I wouldn't know, say that. But yeah, I mean, yeah. it, it, Clemson is just elevated so much uh, these last six or seven years are above the rest of the conference. Um, the other factor is it's the slow mesh RPO, you know, it it's kind of taken on the life of its own. Not every RPO wake runs is a slow mesh, but when they do run the slow mesh, that will drop some safety. Like some safeties will get undisciplined and they'll start walking up to the line or they'll freeze. Um, and that'll let a receiver get deep. That'll, that'll allow some guys, some decisions to get made. Um, that's kind of one of the, you know, for every, for every action, there's a reaction for the defense's action there. That's weights. That's one of weights reactions is to run that slow mesh and try to get the, get the safeties and linebackers frozen in place. Um, and then make decisions out of there. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, um, it's an interesting offense. But you know, for the um, for our listeners, can you explain the slow mesh offense a little bit? You know, because there's probably a lot of people that have not underst- don't understand what that is completely. You know, yeah. So most most RPOs um, they have three options, right? It's it's either a running back run, a pass, or the quarterback tucks it himself and runs it. Uh, most just about everybody that runs it. That, that mesh point where the quarterback has the ball in the belly of the running back lasts for maybe one second. Like, it, it's it's a snap decision at 99% of the schools that run RPOs. With Wake, that mesh point can be two to three seconds. I don't know if it's ever gotten up to four, but it's just, it's just a couple beats longer. And it works for Wake because their offensive line can hold up uh, against most teams, they even held up against Clemson. So you can really say they they can if they can hold up against Clemson, they can hold up against just about anybody. Um, and when you hold it for a, that that little bit longer time, it gives you it gives you a little more time to freeze a linebacker or freeze a safety, and then your receivers can get further downfield um, or blocks can further develop, and you can get some holes out of it that other schools you know they're they're giving the ball to a running back and he's making something happen. Um, Wake is giving the ball to a running back and he's kind of reading a hole that might be a little more developed than, than another school uh, that runs a normal RPO. I love it. I We were watching FSU kind of emulate it in practice, scout team this week, and it's just so amazing. I'm, I'm just like, why – how is Wake the only team that's doing this? I, I'm surprised no one has really tried to emulate it, and maybe that speaks to how difficult it is to f- execute it as well, because that certainly goes into it. And so that kind of leads me into asking about Sam Hartman. I just want to say, i got to agree with one part. I think everyone should under triple option. If for nothing else, journalists love it, you know? Gets games <laughs> over quicker. That is true. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, S- Sam Hartman – First part of the question, why is he able to execute it at such a high level beyond just 
obviously really talented as a, as a quarterback, but maybe mentally why. And then as far as what he went through this off season and having the procedure done to remove the blood clot, what was that like? Uh, just, and how did he kind of deal with that? Uh, only missed a game uh, after all, but, but just what was that whole uh, thing like? How did he handle it? I mean, Sam's a pro. Uh, I say that not in terms of like I'm putting him in the NFL or anything, but he, he is very media savvy. He's been that way uh, since he got to Wake. Um, he, is, he is very savvy in general. I mean, the, the kid went through some stuff in high school that no high schooler should ever go, ever have to go through. Um, his adopted brother uh, had an incident and took his own life uh, when Sam was a sophomore. And then Sam's junior year, uh, going into the season, he had a, they discovered a lump in his left collarbone shoulder area the size of a baseball that had, it was a bacteria that had developed because he had a thyroid, a birth defect in his thyroid. Um, that was actually the pre-existing condition that led to the blood clot. Uh, so he's been through he's been through a ton, man, and he's just a battler. He's a fighter. Um, I kind of think that Wake is always going to have to have somebody, you know, not somebody that's obviously been through that kind of stuff, but a if you're going to play quarterback in Wake's system and Wake is going to run the, the RPO, the slow mesh, the stuff that they run, you're going to have to have a, a quarterback like that. Like You're going to have to have just a complete gamer who can take hits and get back up and still sling it. Uh, that's what John Walford was. That's what Jamie Newman was. That's what Sam is, and that's kind of what Mitch Griffiths, the heir apparent, looks like he is. Um the it's it's funny to watch the the growth of Wake quarterbacks. Um, they don't run that RPO very well when they first get to Wake. Like Sam started as a true freshman, and he is so much more advanced in the last three years than he was in 2018 when he was a 19 year old, uh, probably about 175 pounds, 170 pounds. I remember in 2018, he started down at Florida State. Um, man, I can't remember the the lineman's name, but he got crunched by one of those first or second round picks down there. And I mean, he was just not the same for the rest of the game. He just, you could tell. Um, he takes hits now. He's taken hits for the last three years. He's popped up each time. So he's just, he's, he's the heartbeat of the team. Um, it's not so much as Wake Forest goes, as Sam Hartman goes, but it's pretty close. I think it's about as close as it's ever going to be for, for a team like Wake Forest for a program in the ninth season under Dave Boston. Like, they're never going to be wholly reliant on one player, but it's about as close as it's ever going to get with, with where Sam is right now. So bef- before we kind of get into predictions and scores and all that, Tell us a little bit more about the defense. What, what, what? I mean, that was another thing. I felt like watching the Clemson game, we saw some plays where they were right there, and Clemson just came down with some freaking crazy catches. And um, you know, defense hasn't been Wake Forest strong suit, but they're they're also uh, from what FSU offensive coordinator Alex Atkins described. 
a fast defense that can be opportunistic at times. Just wondering how you kind of have assessed their play so far. What do you think the keys will be for them in this game? Yeah, I think, you know, they did not have a good game against Clemson. They were not nearly as bad as you would think looking at, you know, I, I think we'll see what DJU does for the rest of the season. I think DJU uh, showed us that he had talent in 2020 in the spot start at Notre Dame. I think last year he had a rough season for a litany of reasons. I think he is in a much better place right now. I think he was able to show that finally. He had, finally had receivers make plays for him. The, the huge area to watch with Wake's defense is whether Kalen Carson plays. He's their number one corner. He pulled up lame with a hamstring injury on a touchdown run against uh, Liberty and did not play against Clemson. And it's kind of been a developing theme through defensive coordinators the last four or five years. When Wake, it, it only takes like two or three injuries in the secondary for you to feel like Wake is just hanging on for dear life on the back end. Um, they've already lost their starting nickel. He tore his ACL at Vanderbilt. Um, and they're without Brendan Harris, a Vanderbilt transfer who's playing safety and was playing really well. He had a thumb injury against Liberty that they thought he was going to be out for a long time. He might actually be back for this game. Uh, that's another one's status to watch, but I mean, Kalen Carson is the key, right? Like they, they have Gavin Holmes, they have JJ Roberts, they basically played corner the entire game against Clemson. Uh, other than when Gavin Holmes got a little bit of a foot injury at one point, missed a few plays, but he was back out there. And, man, I mean, they were in good position. They missed some balls that they probably should have batted down. Uh, they were they were there for They just didn't make plays. Uh, if Kalen Carson is back and they're able to rotate those three for two positions – it changes a lot of things that they can do defensively. If Kalen Carson's out, they're going to be dropping safeties off the line uh, with Florida State's running game and the three running backs they can give the ball to and feel good about. Like, I would be, if I'm Wake's defensive coordinator, I would be concerned if I don't have Kalen Carson and I'm having to account for uncertainty on the back end also with Florida State's running game. Well, Connor, uh, before we let you go, prediction time. I, the last guest we had on, they're like, well, I don't know if we, I don't want to give a prediction because I feel like some people feel jinxy about it. But I'm wondering, uh, just kind of what how you said it's going to be a high scoring game. You think? Um, take us through how you feel like it's going to go. I think it'll be high scoring. I think, um, like I said, the the biggest keys to me is how Florida State defends Wake. How many, option, how many opportunities Wake gets with the vertical passing game. Um, and then defensively, whether Kalen Carson is out there, it changes a lot for Wake, whether he is or isn't. Um, it's high scoring. I think, you know, going back to what we talked about in the beginning with the crowd sizes, uh, Wake is 3-12 and 12 since the start of the 2016 season. With like in front of crowds that are over forty five thousand, so it might not be a packed doke, but I would think there's going to be more than forty five thousand in there. Um, 
Wake has lost five straight games in front of 45,000 or more. So it's, it's been, noise has been a concern for this team. Like that, that you know, there's, there's no way around it. I mean, it, it is also one of those stats that's like, uh, there's a book called Freakonomics that I read in college. It's always stuck with me. It's like, yeah, when you're, when you're playing on the road in front of 45,000 or more people, you're usually in the ACC. That means you're playing to Florida State, you're playing to Clemson or maybe Louisville. Um, there's three pretty good programs and three pretty tough places to win for anybody. Uh, so it's a little bit of a cherry picking stat, but, but this is a stat, uh, that's noteworthy going into this game, right? I, you know, I could see either team winning. I, I don't, I'll, I'll give you a prediction. Uh, I do think Florida State wins this game. I would not be shocked if it goes either way. Like, you know, either team wins by a lot. Either team wins a close game. I don't think any of that would shock me. Like, if Wake comes out and plays with their hair on fire because they're really mad about how last week turned out, that wouldn't shock me. If uh, Florida State comes out and looks like they're the Florida State of old and they roll to 5-0 and and Wake is just kind of in the doldrums of what happened last weekend, I don't think that would surprise me. So it, it's, you know, roll a, roll a D20 and see what comes of it. <laughs> I was a little surprised FSU is a seven-point favorite. I thought it would be much closer, but uh, did that surprise you at all? Uh, it did a little bit. You know, I know they're different teams from last year, but it is a game that Wake won 35-14 yeah. last season. Um, kind of dealing with that on the other beat I have. Uh, Duke is like a couple-point favorite against a Virginia team that beat them 48 nothing last year. <laughs> I'm kind of living in bizarro worlds for both of my beats. Uh, yeah, but the Blue Devils are um, the best team in college football. I don't, I don't care if they lost last week. No, well, second best to, to, uh, to Kansas. Kansas. Yeah, yeah there you go. <laughs> we're not talking about basketball, guys. We're talking about football. <laughs> well, Connor, man, it, this has been awesome. Really insightful. Hopefully uh, FSU fans know what a slow mesh means now. We've been talking ad nauseum about it, so uh, – Really appreciate you having on, having you on. So uh, that it was great. Thanks for coming. Thanks, guys. Uh, appreciate you for having me, and hopefully everybody's safe down there. Okay. Thanks again to Connor O'Neill. Thought he was really informative. A lot of great stuff. Hopefully you guys aren't worn out hearing about uh, the slow mesh. But um, Essen, want to want to um, now just kind of focus on FSU. We talked to Jordan Travis this week for the first time since he suffered his knee injury against Louisville. Uh, had a lot of really interesting stuff to say. You don't always get uh, a lot. You usually get a lot of coach speak from Jordan, but I thought he, he said some, some pretty cool stuff. What were, what were kind of the biggest things that maybe stood out to you? Well, first I want to ask you, not giving the, our listeners a pop quiz on the slow mesh. Oh, should we? Should, we should, you know. <laughs> Let's yeah, see if they're paying attention. <laughs> see how much they're paying attention. All right, what, what would the uh, what would the quiz be? Um, you know, well, first define slow match, guys. Come on, you got this. Okay. Yeah, it, when I tweet this out, like don't don't like, favorite and retweet it, of course. Like and review our podcast, of course. But respond to the tweet just describing the slow mesh and maybe it'll be really funny because we'll know who listened and who didn't and, and we'll see how many people get confused 
in the comments. They'll why is everyone describing this play? So yeah, go ahead do that. But all right, all right, Jordan Travis. What, what, Jordan, what, Travis. What's Jordan Travis. Yeah, yeah. But we're gonna do the pop quiz, guys. Yeah. But um, Jordan Travis. No, um, you know, one someone asked him about his injury. You know, well, I asked him about his injury, I guess. <laughs> but um, he mentioned you know he thought it was scary. Um, you know, he he thought he feared the worst. You know, he essentially said, um, you know, and then he mentioned you know. He praised a lot, and you know he, he knew God had him. But also, you know, um, he he was asked about social media. He he tweeted after the game, um, you know, about the win. But he said, "I hashtag I'm a QB," you know. Mm-hmm. And he said that was more of a reminder for himself. But then later, when people he was asked about Tate's um, performance, he said, "You know, he went up, expand on that. He said, you know, we read us as college students, we read athletes, we read the end of social media, we get to see all that, and it doesn't impact us. So that was really interesting to see, you know." Because you don't, oftentimes you don't see many players, and that's the last person I would expect to be open up about that as well. But that's what you know. Some people on social media need to know as well. So PSA, guys, be nice to players on social media. They are human beings after all. I, uh, you could tell how much Tate's performance meant to him because yeah. Tate. No, I don't think a single player on the team got as much hate as Tate. And I like no, how that rhymed. Uh, but no one yeah, – so, I mean yeah, – yeah, and, and we've talked before. Usually the backup quarterback is the most popular man on the team. But in his case, uh, he just struggled enough in those opportunities that he'd get that there was no belief in him. And for him to do that, you saw Jordan Travis not just hug him after the game, but he came out in crutches and was really involved with, you know, trying to help him out as much as you can. Um just just think it spoke to kind of the character he has. And that moment when you feel like he didn't know till either the next day or the day after that he was good to go. And so in that moment, for all we knew, he could have thought he was, had a torn ACL. He could have thought, but he still was involved and active, you know, with, with the team. And I, I thought that uh, said a lot about him. I mean, I'm um, speaking of character. He could have been torn ACL, and he was still asking his trainers to get back in the game. So speak of character. Yeah, you know? I know. Yeah, he, he said that the trainers had to save him from himself. That that was, uh, you know, interesting. The, the I'm a QB aspect uh, thought was interesting, too, because that's something you hear a lot from Lamar Jackson, who when he went into the league, people questioned, is, is this guy a quarterback? Should he be a wide receiver? And that just has taken a life of its own now since he's, you know, obviously had a great, great NFL career. And I Jordan. Think, um, I think he tweeted out some stats because um, it's important about Jordan is he's not been a runner this year. He has been a pocket passer. I think he tweeted out stats Monday. Yeah. You know, like, you know, he, he's probably, um, you know, he ran like, you know, average, like, I think between 16 and 18 rushes a game a year. I think you said something like that. I think it was about 14 or 15. 14 uh, or 15. So, and now he's probably leaving run, leaving the pocket to run like three or four at times. And also, some of those are like the 16 yard run against um, um, Boston College was not a it was not a um, scheduled run. It was improvised because he evaded the sack and made a couple moves to get open and yeah. get, get downfield and make a run. Yeah, he, here's the uh, the stat. He made six starts in 2020. He averaged 14 carries a game in those starts. Last year, he had eight starts, 15.3 carries a game. Through four games this season, he's got 15 carries. Uh, he's number two overall 
in terms of Pro Football Focus's graded quarterback. He is, I believe, their best quarterback when he faces pressure. He's been amazing against the blitz. He's been amazing against uh, pressure. Uh, he's number 20 in, in pass efficiency, which I believe is probably the best metric for uh, assessing a quarterback. So he is, every metric you look at, he is a quarterback. And, you know, I, I think there was not just a concern about, like, uh, you know, you, you, I guess, like, you saw – the flashes you saw he really made a reputation of being kind of an athlete um and he didn't have a, a whole ton of just huge passing numbers to to back up his case um he had not had a 300 yard passing game since until last saturday um, and that's the thing um if you and we talked about his quote you know he mentioned you know how happy that how much that meant to him he talked about yeah. the press conference as well because that meant, and the way it's not just like you know a lot of times we write something and like you know it doesn't come off, but you his face lit up when he was answering that question. It was yeah. like you know he was so happy to answer yes, I finally did that. I'm proving I'm a quarterback, you know. Yeah, and and you know I've talked to you know I did an interview a couple of weeks ago with Tony Tokars, and it's just the game has slowed down and simplified for him. Last year he was not very good against blitzes against pressure. When teams stack the box, when teams are coming at him from every direction with blitzes and, and pressure, he, he just handles it really well. He knows you, you saw it in the LSU game. A guy came right into his face and, and just knocked him to the ground, and he delivers a beautiful ball to Ontario Wilson. And that was a split-second decision. You're, you're just you're seeing that. I think also in the past he had the propensity to, you know, uh, take off and kind of prematurely leave plays, uh, abandon plays that, that, uh, and, and, and run when it maybe wasn't there now. Yeah. Not run anymore. He's, he is confidently staying in the pocket and, and another uh, offensive line, better weapons does help with that. You know, like yep. Jordan's been a lot better, but the weapons around him, the, um, the line around him, the running backs around him are better. So that helps him as well, but it helped, you know, and, any quarterback, if you look around the nation, needs that. You know, you can't have. Oh, he had no you help. Yeah. You can't have no help. But like you know, Joe Burrow's first year in LSU was not that good. You it's know, okay. he it struggled was, a lot. Good, not great. Yeah. Good, not great. Yeah. Um, his second year, when the offensive line was settled, better play calling. Um, they had you know the running backs they had, and obviously the receivers they had. Like you watch them in the NFL now, they're ridiculous. Um, yeah. Um, you know, that's when he took off. So it takes comfort in the system. It takes um, offensive line. It takes, you know, the weapons around you. You know, it takes all that for a quarterback to be great. It was unfair. I mean, he had, like, literally the worst receiving core in the ACC last year. When Mike Norvell took over the program in 2020, they had one of the nation's worst offensive lines. They had some good running backs, Jay Sean Corbin, Sean Ward, now – Obviously, they've got some awesome running backs um, uh, added to that. But, yeah, didn't have help. And, and, and now just kind of looking forward to the, the, the Wake Forest game. There are two ways this could go. Uh, we've seen Florida State be an explosive offense this year. They're number one in the country in, in plays of 20-plus yards. Got 32 of them this year. But they're also exceptional on third down extending drives 
we saw it against LSU, 10 play, 12 play, 13 play drives. Um, this could either be one of those games that's just a shootout, you know, uh, just like the Clemson Wake Forest game, or it could be a ball control, hey, we're going to have six-minute drives. Your offense isn't going to see the ball for half of a quarter because we just went 4-4 four four on third down and methodically drove the ball down the field. Your Florida State's offense, do you, you have the confidence with, with, with maybe how the defense is playing that you can – just make this a shootout, or are are you kind of looking at ball control? I, I don't know. I, I guess maybe – I mean, obviously they want to score right away. That, that's probably the ideal thing. But how do you see maybe the game playing out? Which which one do you see happening? I think just by um, with no, how Norrell runs, I think they're going to want to establish a run. They're going to want to um, – you know, they are comfortable winning a shootout, I think, now. Um, you know, more so than the past few years, they're comfortable winning a shootout. But if you can slow the game down and put, you know, Hartman, put the offensive line with that crowd, it's going to be loud. It's going to be loud Saturday. I think we know, both know that. Mm-hmm. With everything that's gone in the past couple of days, it's going to be loud. If you could, I think if you could um, slow the game down and minimize the chance of errors, because the more you throw the ball, the higher scoring game you have, the higher chance of errors you have. The lower your chance of errors with running the ball, ball control, I think that's the kind of game that Mike Norvell prefers over a shootout. They may just adjust accordingly. What, what's the defense giving us? If you know their safeties are playing pretty far back, their corners are playing far back. Okay, maybe maybe you do methodically do it down the field. But if you got Johnny Wilson on an island, yeah, you're going to take a sixty yard oh, shot down the field. Definitely. Now, I think maybe the most important thing is you you feel confident that Florida State will be able to put up points. You'll be, they'll be able to move the ball, get first downs. I think the, the, maybe the hidden thing, it's always important, but turning the ball over. This is a team that hasn't struggled with that all year. Uh, Travis only had one interception all year. Uh, if, if, they can't turn, if they don't turn the ball over, I think they're in good shape because that's what Wake Forest has done. You know, their defense – with all the, 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 the bad you've seen against Liberty and Clemson, they can turn you over. And if, if you have two or three of those, then that could be the difference in the game when you're facing an offense like that. I can't remember the exact number, but Norrell says in like 34 of 36 games they forced a turnover, I think it was. Yeah, yeah so, something like that. Yeah. So they can turn the ball over, and they are very good at it. And, you know, their defense is kind of um, bend but don't break. Yeah. So – they will give up the yards, but they will, you know, for, force you to beat yourself. Then sometimes, so that's kind of that's why I kind of like the ball control idea for FSU because these guys are ball hawks. They know how to get to the ball. But you know, like you mentioned, it's be uh, kind of pick what you get, kind of what you, you know, what you get when you get there because you can't predetermine what you want to do before a game because that's not the look you might get. And I think that's even more true. With the defense, they basically get to dictate what Wake Forest does. Florida State gets to decide you're running the ball today or you're you're passing the ball today. I think Connor made a, a great point about what Clemson did at the end of that game. Probably the formula that a lot of defenses, at least if you have that kind of talent, can do against them. And so, I'm curious to see how they'll how they'll kind of approach that. 
Um, it would be interesting because Florida State, as we know, could be down some players on, you know. Yeah. So yeah, it could be interesting like, to see where they stand with injuries, where they stand with, you know, personnel to see how Wake Forest plays them. Yeah, because if, you, if you're if you with Jared Verse and Fabian Lovett, and, you know, we saw Robert Cooper and Derek McClendon come off the field at the end of the Boston College game. If you're down some guys at, on the defensive front, are you saying, yeah, sure, run the ball? I don't know. I don't know. Um, you kind of want them to, you know, you kind of want them to go the opposite direction, though, that, right? Yeah, I think ultimately, though, you still roll the dice with that because – you're asking a lot more out of an out of offense that doesn't really run the ball well versus Sam Hartman, A.T. Perry, two guys that have just killed you. Um, 100%, yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, um, you 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 had some players to watch in your story that you did earlier this week. Who were who were the defensive players? You put Kalen and DeLoach in there, right? Yeah, that'd be out Friday, Kalen DeLoach, because um, it's something about, you know, um, that – he kind of talked about is the discipline, the linebackers' eyes. Where do they go when you know you watch the ball? Like, are they going to bite on the run fake, or are they going to you know? Because that makes a difference between uh, the middle of the field, the linebackers being the middle of the field being open, and you know um, what a safety has to do, what a cornerback has to do if they have help. So that those are all important. So Deloach is a very important player. I had um, Leonard Warner, you know, redshirt senior who's getting opportunity now with the injuries. Um, it be interesting to see how he plays in the big spot, you know, in a big game. He hasn't had many, you know, I think he played eight games last year. Played more full-time in 2019. So it's been a while since he's been a full-time player. So it's be interesting to see how he steps up in a bigger role. Lots of backups. Lots of backups that maybe we didn't see first couple weeks. Mike Norvell talked about it. Like Josh Farmer played really well against Boston College, even, you know, some of the freshmen, like Daniel Lyons, he's someone we watched all spring tear it up. We're thinking, man, who's this guy? He's like 17, right? And he was tearing it up, him and Bishop Thomas. And so, you know, I think, yeah, some of those younger guys, Patrick Payton, uh, we'll see a lot of those guys as well. Um, If Verse and and Lovett indeed are out for an extended time, uh, Continually. So um, now, Essen, let's get into to predictions real quick. Uh, give me your score prediction, and, and how do you think this game's going to go? So I mentioned slow the ball down. You know, um, I'm going to say first to 40 wins this game. Florida State 42, um, Wake Forest 38. And um, I'm glad you didn't ask me about my third offensive, um, third player to watch this week. Um, Micah Pittman scores two touchdowns, including a punt return. Hey, we got to give you credit, man. I forgot about this. You literally called it. You said there's either going to be a kickoff or punt return touchdown uh, against Boston College. And then in the press box, you literally said right before the kickoff, uh, he's returning this for a touchdown, right? Didn't you say that like right when it happened? I'm like, I'm like let's just watch Benson prove me right, right, right now. Let's get over with. And it happened, and I, and I just almost, you know, I, I'm busy because I'm trying to get up all these tweets and whatnot, but I look at you and I'm like, what in the world? Like, well, you got to make a prediction every week. So Micah Pittman, two touchdowns. If it happens, everybody, uh, SN is... I'll give lottery numbers next week if I get it right this time. Lottery numbers. If, if this was the 1600s, you'd be called a witch, you know, like, uh, I don't know what to call you, but but... 
Yeah, I mean, that is... <laughs> when it happened, I laughed so hard, but... Uh, it was funny because um, I was watching it. Um, Benson almost got tackled over the, the 15-yard line. I'm like, no, keep going, man. Keep yeah. going. Yeah, you were rooting for him at, at that point. Um, no chewing in the press box unless you make a prediction. <laughs> <laughs> so my prediction, very similar to yours, um, 38-34 FSU. How would you have getting him to 40 points? Not 40. Uh, I don't think it'll be too ball controlly. I think FSU will have enough explosive plays. Wake Wake will have more explosive plays. One of the key stats that I digged up, FSU this season has not allowed more than 61 receiving yards from a player. At this point – I got mad when you asked that question. <laughs> yeah, he was just joking. But, but, uh, but this point last year, four games through last year, seven players had, had more than that number – and 17 in the whole season had more, which just means, I mean, yeah, 61, very exact number. But the, the point being, they don't give up big plays. They don't big, give up big receivers. And now they're going up against A.T. Perry, who has had the most receiving yards that, that, that Norvell and, and Adam Floor ever given up at Florida State. So that's a key matchup to watch. Uh, I do think A.T. Perry will get his. Um, probably will have a 100-yard game. Uh, that's just who that guy is. But I do think this defense is in a much better position to not get not get embarrassed, you know, not not give up you know, a, a whole ton. 34 points, um, it's not great, but it's not – I think it – like I said, it could be first 40. I think FSU's offense is equipped to where as long as their defense isn't giving up 550 yards – 40-plus points, they'll be okay. I mean, 34 points. Let's put that into perspective. In today's college football, is that a lot? <laughs> you know, um, yeah. Wake just dropped, granted overtime, 45 points on one of the defenses we consider the best in college football. Yeah. You're in, you're out, right? So yeah. it's not like, it's a, it, it's not like you know, Wake Force is a, um, you know, some scrub team. They are a legit offense that can put up points. So if Florida State gives up 34 points, I don't think you'd be upset about that. Absolutely not. So before, I mean, if you're a coach, yes, you're <laughs> upset about everything, anyways. But yeah. you know, yeah. Before we go, man, uh, tell us what you got working on, cooking this week. What will you already have out, and what will you'll have out the next uh, day or two? Yeah. So uh, earlier today, I got out um, right before we got on the podcast. I got another story out. Um, um, Gibbons, um, Jordan Travis are teaming up to do a little um, GoFundMe to help hurricane relief. Um, victim, so that's a good story. You know, check that out and donate if you can. Because as we've seen, Florida's been um, Southwest Florida, Naples, um, um, Punta Gorda, and all those places. St. Petersburg, Naples were all hit really hard. Orlando, so you know, regardless of college football allegiance, we're all Floridians. You know, so mm-hmm. help each other out. Same with when it hits the Carolinas. You know, this is, you know, one country. <laughs> um, any, um, then um, we were at football um, basketball practice today, so that was interesting. Um, we'll be we'll have a story about what to watch, kind of watch us here a little bit. You know, um, Coach Hamilton gave us some good quotes as he always does, and learned a lot about the team. So um, have that, and then um, we'll have a preview. Um, it won't be it'll just be kind of statsy, but um, big game soccer match this weekend. FSU at Miami on Saturday. So 
Got to give them love because that's like, it's what eight, 19 unbeaten now. Crazy man, um, yeah. I've so just kind of wrapping it up with what I've got cooking. I had a story, just kind of the financial impact of FSU's four no start, how it affects NIL, how it affects Seminole boosters, the athletic department. Uh, I talked with Stephen Ponder, the CEO of Seminole Boosters, and uh, Matthew Quigley, who is the CEO of Rising Spear. Um, also had a story about the, the upcoming game. Uh, talked with FSU earlier tonight. They're they're thinking. Well, I, I guess as of Thursday evening, let's say they believe they've got anywhere between sixty-seven and sixty-eight thousand tickets sold. Their 16,000 student ticket allotment is uh, is sold out, but they're going to try to come up with some creative ways to have some other students be, have access to tickets. So um, this could this could we'll see. I mean, sold out is different than who shows up. Uh, but uh, you know, and also talking with FSU tonight, they they made it sound like they don't expect a sellout crowd. I I would not have expected that either. But um, I mean, yeah, again, there's people from Tampa, you know, Southwest Florida area that right. probably had tickets and not going to be able to make it this week for obvious reasons, you know. Exactly. And, and so, uh, but 65,000, 70,000, maybe that's possible. And if, if Florida State gets over 50 to 60,000, I'll be very impressed just considering the circumstances. But obviously, uh, definitely want to just kind of uh, – Take this time to, to just say, you know, if you're going through anything uh, related to this hurricane, you know, we're, we're thinking about you. We hope that, you know, our coverage at the Tallahassee Democrat um, is in, if, if informing you. You know, I know we've got so many news reporters that are just killing it with their their coverage right now. Um, and we hope that our football coverage uh, can just be a good distraction for you if if you know, some stuff is going on, uh, in your life because of this, this, this hurricane. So, uh, ending in life, you know, our thoughts are always with you. I know exactly, man. Like that's very good distraction. I think sports is a good escape, man. And, and we hope that listening to this, you're driving to work or whatever. Like we just, we want to put a smile on your face. So (laughs) not to sound all corny, but uh, you know, we, we enjoy what we do. We're passionate. We love it. And uh, the fact that, like, we get messages all the time from folks about, you know, uh, just what, what this kind of work means to them. So we, we love to do it, and uh, we're, we just want to say we're thinking of you guys this week. Definitely, and um, still, the pop quiz is still out there. Or, um, what's a slow mess, guys? Come on, find it. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, that's it uh, from us, and uh, we really appreciate you guys listening. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. 
Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.